0: Welcome, podcast listeners. Today we have a fantastic bonus episode for you. We recently published our new book, The Best Investment Writing, Volume 2. The first one was a hit, with Money Week concluding that it should be on every investor's bookshelf. But we made the second volume even better. We expanded it to include 41 hand-selected investment articles written by some of the most respected money managers and investment researchers in the world. We are really proud of it. We also thought it would be fun to bring on some of the authors and have them read their specific chapter from the book. So that's what you're getting in today's special bonus episode. If you're interested in picking up a copy of the Best Investment Writing Volume 2, head on over to Amazon or our publisher's website, which is Harriman House. Also, know that your purchase will be benefiting charities as all the writer proceeds to go to the charity of the specific author's choosing. So enough from me. Let's get to our guest author takeover with this special bonus episode. Hi, this is Mike Philbrick. I'm co-founder and president of Resolve Asset Management, Resolve Asset Management is a systematic investment firm that depends on academically backed and empirically proven practices for portfolio construction, providing cutting-edge global investment methodologies, serving advisors, sophisticated individuals, and institutions. To learn more about us, you can find us at investresolve.com. I'm going to be reading Chapter 21 from the Best Investment Writing, Volume 2. The title of the chapter is Skis and Bikes. The Untold Story of Diversification. The most fundamental principle of investing is diversification, but in our experience few investors understand what diversification means. Sure, investors typically understand that diversification means don't put all your eggs in one basket. Some also understand that diversification is about owning a combination of investments that zig and zag at different times. But when we probe a little deeper, seems many investors are still confused about how diversification works in practice. They wonder if I'm buying something that makes money when the other is losing money doesn't that just give me a zero return? In this report we hope to clear up some of the more nuanced complexities of diversification with a few simple examples. Section 1 skis and bikes. In most parts of Canada we have very distinct seasons. Some months of the year are temperate and relatively dry, while other months are cold and snowy. As a result, most Canadian towns of any size have stores that sell both skis and bikes. Of course, they don't inventory skis and bikes at the same time. Rather, in the spring, they sell off all of their ski-related inventory and set out their bike gear. And in the fall, they clear out their bike gear to make room for the skis. Pretty creative, right? Let's observe a simplified example of skis and bike sales over several years. Figure 1 shows sales of skis and bikes. As winter approaches, ski sales accelerate while bike sales drop off. As summer approaches, people stop buying skis and ramp up their purchases of bikes. One line of business is thriving while the other is flat. In some years, winter might come late and produce very little snow, stifling ski sales. But the subsequent spring might be warm and dry and encourage bumper bike sales. This is the nature of diversification. This same effect plays out in markets. Economic news that is good for one type of investment is often bad news for another. In fact, the hallmark of a diversified portfolio is the observation that one or more investments is disappointing you most of the time. A portfolio that consists of assets that all produce gains at similar times for similar reasons will probably produce their worst losses at the same time too. Section two, well-executed diversification is indistinguishable from magic. The skis and bikes example above shows how deriving cash flows from two independently profitable businesses which produce returns at different times reduces the variability of cash flows throughout the year. This is helpful because it makes it easier for the business owner to manage investments in the business and stabilize the owner's income. In other words, diversifying across two return sources, skis and bikes, lowers the overall risk of the business. Let's examine why this is so important. If the business owner simply wanted to reduce his risk, he could have abandoned the business altogether and kept his savings in safe bonds or cash. But the business owner needs to take some risks to earn a higher income. Both the ski business and the bike business are risky enterprises on their own with highly fickle cash flows. Either one might have been too risky for the shop owner to earn a stable income. But when the businesses are combined, the resulting portfolio of businesses is much more stable. The skis and bikes example extends quite intuitively to the domain of investment portfolios. In investing, it is a simple thing to build a low-risk portfolio by holding low-risk assets, like short-term government bonds. Unfortunately, this portfolio would not be expected to generate much in the way of returns. Remember, The reason investors own higher risk assets like stocks instead of clinging to the safety of short-term bonds or cash is that higher risk assets are expected to produce higher returns. Figure 2 illustrates this relationship for a broad universe of global asset classes. The long-term return we can expect to earn from any one investment is proportional to that investment's risk. If we seek To lower a portfolio risk by investing a large portion of capital in lower risk assets, this will necessarily lower the expected return on the portfolio. In order to generate returns above cash, investors need to take on risk. The magic of diversification is that it allows investors to keep more of their money invested in higher risk assets with commensurately higher expected returns while lowering the overall risk of the portfolio. Section three below illustrates this concept with a theoretical example. While section four provides evidence with real asset classes, section five illustrates the power of diversification to produce stable returns across most investment environments. Section three, diversification in theory. The central advantage of diversification is that it allows investors to hold many risky assets while maintaining a tolerable level of portfolio risk. But many investors express confusion about how two investments can both be expected to rise in value even while they are uncorrelated. After all, if they are uncorrelated, shouldn't we expect them to move in different directions? The skis and bikes example offers some perspective on this apparent contradiction. The revenues accumulated from both skis and bikes are rising over time, but they are rising at precisely opposite times. As a result, the shop owner can even out his revenue stream across the different seasons of the year. Now, let's apply this same phenomenon to two investments. In Figure 3, both Market 1 and Market 2 grow at the same rate of 10% per year for 3 years. We know this is true because the assets, prices, begin and end in the same place. In addition, the assets fluctuate the exact same average amount from day to day. That is, they have the same volatility. However, market one and market two take a very different path to the same final destination. Market one shoots up early on, but then returns flatten out and become choppy. Market two endures a steady decline over the first half of the period, but then shoots higher. Market one inflicts a 26 percent maximum peak to trough loss while market two forces investors to endure an even steeper decline of 34 percent before recovering. Figure three shows these two uncorrelated markets. To make this example more real, Assume that the markets in Figure 3 represent the returns to a long-duration bond index, Market 1, and a diversified stock index, Market 2. Over the three-year period from April 2013 through March 2016, by the middle of the period, investors in the stock index are extremely anxious as their wealth has declined by 25%. They are also envious of investors in bonds who have outperformed them by over 50%. Meanwhile, investors in bonds are convinced that their outperformance was inevitable in retrospect, given their superior talent and good sense. Of course, by the end of the period, those investors in stocks who kept the faith with their investments ended up with exactly the same wealth as investors in bonds. Remember that market 1 and market 2 have the same expected average returns over the long haul. However, they move in different directions at different times for different reasons. In other words they are uncorrelated. If we expect the same average outcome from both markets and they are different then we should take advantage of the opportunity for diversification. Consider the experience of an investor that places half of her capital in market one and half in market two over the same period. Figure four, combining two uncorrelated markets. When we examine the full three-year experience of a diversified investor relative to investors with concentrated investments in just one market, it's clear that diversification produces a gentler ride. While the diversified portfolio produced the same return, it did so with about one third less volatility. Even better, because the declines in the two markets occurred at different times, the diversified portfolio achieved its return with a 40% smaller peak to trough loss than that endured by investors in either of the individual markets. However, while it's clear with the benefit of perfect hindsight that diversified investors were better off over the entire period, it's illustrative to revisit how each investor might have felt halfway through. At that time, investors who chose to diversify were probably regretting their decision as market one had produced about 25% in extra returns. They were wishing that they had never even heard of market two only after the completion of the period once market one experienced its own twenty six percent decline would diversified investors finally have felt vindicated what makes investing so incredibly challenging is that we can't know for sure in advance whether two investments will produce the same returns or whether one investment will produce higher returns than the other and Even if there is a high degree of confidence that one investment will beat another in the long term, there is no guarantee that returns will converge over a time horizon that investors can live with. For example, over the two decades from 1981 through 2001, SAFE U.S. government treasury bonds produced higher returns than stocks without inflicting the pain and anxiety of two major bear markets. Ironically, this uncertainty about the true average return is actually a good thing. Investors knew the true average return of their investments in advance it's likely that these investments would attract a lot more capital. This would drive the prices of these investments so high that future investors would necessarily earn much lower returns. As a thought experiment it's interesting to see how introducing more uncorrelated investments can make the experience even smoother. For example, in the event an investor could construct five uncorrelated investments with the same 10 percent expected compound rate of return and 20 percent volatility, an equally weighted portfolio would have the same return but less than half the volatility of any of the individual investments. Even better, while the average peak-to-trough loss for each individual investment is close to 30%, the peak-to-trough loss of the portfolio is well under 10%. Figure 5, combining five uncorrelated sources of return. As you can see, the holy grail of diversification is the ability to introduce streams of investment returns from many diverse sources. The emphasis here is on the word diverse, as it is unhelpful from a diversification standpoint to add many investments that are highly correlated. However, the diversification advantage from adding many uncorrelated investments to a portfolio is indistinguishable from magic section four: diversification in practice we've seen that by combining investments with uncorrelated return streams we can create a portfolio that preserves returns while dramatically reducing risk this is interesting in theory but it prompts the question how can we make diversification work for us in practice there are two parts to this answer the first part addresses how to fit together assets with different risk profiles the second part deals with finding truly uncorrelated investment investments It turns out this is harder than people think, and most investors get it wrong. Step one, balance. Diversification is about balance. Unfortunately, while many investors own products that are labeled balanced, the portfolios underlying those products are anything but. The imbalance occurs because the assets in the portfolio have wildly different risk profiles. As figure six shows, when you hold an equal portion of stocks and bonds in a portfolio, the portfolio is completely dominated by stock risk because stocks are so much more volatile than bonds. This large imbalance is not just a theoretical curiosity, it has a very real economic impact on portfolios. Remember, portfolios should be engineered to be resilient to all major economic environments but stocks are designed to produce positive returns only during periods of sustained positive growth shocks with benign inflation and abundant liquidity conditions. When these conditions are present, the portfolio does well. However, when growth plummets unexpectedly or inflation spirals out of control, the true personality of this portfolio reveals itself. Consider the performance of this 50-50 portfolio of US stocks and high-grade bonds during the global growth shock of 2008 to 2009 shown in Figure 7 Figure 6, a portfolio equally divided between U.S. stocks and treasuries is dominated by stock risk Figure 7, equal weight U.S. stocks and high-grade corporate bonds daily inflation adjusted total returns October 2007 to March 2009 log scale. The global financial crisis of 2008 inflicted a 33% peak to trough loss on U.S. investors holding an equal weight portfolio of high-grade bonds and stocks. Investors outside the U.S. fared approximately the same with similar portfolio configuration. This despite the fact that the bond portion of the portfolio held its value throughout. Another way to observe the fact that an equally weighted portfolio of stocks and bonds is just a diluted stock portfolio is to examine the correlation between the portfolio and stocks over time. From figure 7, it's obvious that despite having 50% in bonds, the portfolio is almost perfectly correlated with stocks most of the time. The average correlation is 0.91 and the portfolio's correlation with stocks has never dropped below 0.8 since 1993. Figure 8, Rolling 3-Year Correlation Between U.S. Stocks and Equally Weighted Portfolio of Stocks and Bonds 1993-2017 to It's clear that traditional balanced portfolios are not balanced at all. The much higher volatility of stocks relative to bonds means that bonds have no opportunity to express their diversification benefits. This is no trivial matter because, as we'll see in the next section, bonds can provide substantial diversification with the right amount of balance. Step 2 – Diversity Unfortunately, most investors seek diversification in the wrong places. For example, many investors perceive that holding many different stocks or stock mutual funds in a portfolio will produce strong diversification benefits. This is like seeking greater diversification and lower risk from buying several ski stores across Canada. Sure, different parts of Canada may have better or worse ski seasons in different years, but summer months are still going to come and be tough. It works the same way for stocks and stock mutual funds because all of the stocks in a market are influenced by the same force, economic growth expectations. Stocks will all fall together if economic growth is weaker than expected and vice versa. This is even true for stocks in different countries because economic growth for individual countries is often tied to the general global economic trend. To illustrate this point, let's examine whether we can achieve meaningful diversification by combining the 14 largest global stock markets in the MSCI All Cap World Index, the ACWI. The ACWI is constructed to represent over 99% of total global equity market capitalization, and the 14 markets that we've chosen represent over 75%. Note that we exclude China due to the lack of long-term index data. Figure 6 shows the annualized volatility over the 26 year period ending October 31st, 2016, for each index in USD. How can we measure the available diversification opportunity? A simple method would be to observe the ratio between the average of the volatilities across each individual market and the volatilities of equally weighted portfolio of the same constituents. We'll call this the diversification ratio. The average of the individual volatilities does not account for the diversification benefit, while the volatility of the equal weighted portfolio does. So the ratio measures the risk reduction advantage of diversification. From figure 9, we see that the average of the individual market volatilities is 26.4%, while the volatility of the equally weighted portfolio is 19.8%. Thus, the diversification ratio is 26.4% divided by 19.8%, which equals one33 in other words, we achieve a 33% diversification advantage from dividing capital equally among 15 of the largest global equity market indices. Figure 9, annualized volatility of acqui constituents 1991 to 2017. You may be surprised to learn that earning a 33% risk-adjusted performance advantage from diversification is relatively thin gruel. Remember that diversification benefits are a function of low correlation between the assets in the portfolio. However, over the past 26 years, the average correlation between between these global equity markets is about 0.6. Worse, since the proliferation of index products has made it easy to invest in international markets, correlations have steadily increased. Figure 9 describes a rolling average annual pairwise correlation between these markets from 1999 through 2016 and the trend of these correlations. High correlations between global equity markets might be here to stay, which further dilutes the diversification opportunities within global equity asset classes. Figure 10 rolling average annual pairwise correlation of ACWI constituent indices. While investors focused on global stock markets are likely to experience diminishing returns on diversification, other opportunities for diversification abound. However, investors seeking diversification must be willing to look further afield. Remember, investment environments are generally defined by unexpected changes to inflation and growth expectations. Figure 10 divides economic environments along these two dimensions to create four distinct economic states of the world. Diverse global asset classes are embedded in the quadrants in in which they would be functionally expected to perform well. Diverse global asset classes are embedded in the quadrants in which they would be fundamentally expected to perform well. Assets near the middle have low sensitivity to the corresponding economic dynamics, while those near the edge are highly sensitive and volatile. You can see that stocks would be expected to flourish during periods of unexpectedly strong growth, while other assets like government bonds, tips, commodities, REITs, and gold are designed to produce their best returns in very different economic periods. Figure 11, global asset class sensitivities to growth and inflation. Since there are assets available to investors that can be expected to produce positive returns in any environment, the investment universe in figure 10 is truly diversified. Let's extend our analysis of diversification benefits using this more diverse group of assets. Specifically, consider a universe of global assets consisting of U.S., European, Asian, and Emerging Market Stock Indices, U.S. and International Real Estate Securities, REITs, Gold, Commodities, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS, U.S. Government Bonds, Treasuries, Foreign Bonds, and USD-denominated Emerging Market Bonds. Figure 12 quantifies the annualized volatility of each of these asset class indices over the period 1991 through 2016. Figure 12 Annualized Volatility of Global Asset Classes. Recall from Figure 9 that because global equity markets are highly correlated with one another, investors accrue a rather small 33% advantage from holding them all together in a portfolio. In contrast, it's clear from Figure 10 that our diversified universe provides a much larger benefit. The average of the individual asset class volatilities is 17.1% while the volatility of the equally weighted portfolio is 9.9%. Thus the diversification ratio is 19.8% divided by 12% which equals 1.73. In other words, we achieved a 73% diversification advantage from dividing capital equally among the 13 major global asset classes. Even better, there is no reason to believe that this diversification benefit from investing in diverse global asset classes will go away anytime soon. Figure 13 clearly shows that the average annual pairwise correlation between these diverse asset classes have been persistently low averaging 0.25 compared to the average of 0.6 correlations across global equity markets. And in contrast to what we observe across global equity markets the trend does not appear to be increasing material over time. And In contrast to what we observe across global equity markets, the trend does not appear to be increasing materially over time. Figure 13, rolling average annual pairwise correlations of global asset classes. The lesson from this section is that diversification has very practical benefits, but only for investors who can think more broadly about the world's many sources of returns. Investors who are uncomfortable investing outside their borders or in unfamiliar asset classes will incur large opportunity costs. Either they will own a portfolio that is much more vulnerable to risk in order to earn the returns they need, or they will own a portfolio that earns a lower return at the level of risk that they can tolerate. Section 5. Diversification for Stable Returns in All Environments This paper has made the case that the primary advantage of diversification is that it allows an investor to hold many risky assets in a portfolio with commensurately high expected returns, but with much less risk than would be experienced by holding any single asset on its own. We laid the foundation for this concept using theoretical uncorrelated return streams and discovered that it is possible to combine many risky but sufficiently uncorrelated assets in a portfolio to dramatically lower portfolio risk. Finally, we observed the practical benefits of diversification by combining two different universes of asset classes we saw that it is challenging to achieve meaningful diversification from investments across global equity markets, but that there are significant diversification opportunities from investing in a broader universe of global asset classes. In the final section, we will explore how to combine all of the concepts discussed so far to create robust portfolios that are designed to thrive in most economic environments. Specifically, we will analyze how to use the diverse universe of asset classes described in figures 11 and 12 to create maximum balance in a portfolio. First, let's revisit the historical personalities of our assets by reflecting on their long-term volatilities and their average correlations with all of the other assets. Figure 12 summarized the long-term average volatilities of major markets. Recall that Treasury bonds produced just one-quarter of the volatility of most risky assets like stocks and commodities over the past 25 years. On the correlation front, Figure 14 shows that U.S. Treasuries in general have exhibited the lowest correlation with other assets, followed by gold and commodities. Mostly as a function of currency effects, we use unhedged bond indices, foreign bonds, are grouped between equities and commodities in terms of average correlation. Figure 14, average pairwise correlation with other assets 1991 to 2017. It's clear that asset classes have varied risk profiles and diverse relationships with other assets. The question is how can we maximize these diversification opportunities in a portfolio to achieve steady returns in all economic environments? Let's start with perhaps the most common interpretation of balanced portfolio, the 60-40 stock bond portfolio. We can use the 13 assets in our asset universe to create a very close approximation of a global balanced portfolio by holding all of the assets in equal weight. These are 8 risky assets and 5 fixed income assets so the mix is very close to the 60-40 portfolio with all assets having a 7.7 percent weight in the portfolio per figure 15. Figure 15 equal weight portfolio is a global balanced portfolio. Is this so-called balanced portfolio truly balanced? Rather than stopping at a surface level view of asset class weights, let's examine the portfolio through the lens of the asset's risk contributions. Remember, asset classes in this diverse universe have different risk properties. Some assets are much more volatile and or highly correlated than others. If we mix volatile assets with high correlations to other assets alongside stable assets with low correlations, how can we expect each asset to contribute the same amount of diversification benefits? per figure 16 it turns out that the portfolio is not very well balanced. Let's take a moment to interpret this waterfall chart in figure 16. Each bar shows the total risk contribution in units of volatility for that asset as a constituent of the portfolio. The portfolio volatility above the black bar on the right side is the sum of all the constituent asset volatilities as a quick sanity check you'll note that the total volatility of the equal weight multi-asset portfolio in figure 16 below is exactly the same as the portfolio volatility in figure 12. quick go confirm this it will help cement the concept it's clear that the risk contributions from the fixed income assets in the light gray are completely dominated by the risk contributions from the other risky assets In fact, the sum of the risk contributions from the bonds is just 0.6%, which means the other assets cumulatively contribute 9.3% of the 9.9% in total portfolio volatility. While it might seem strange that an asset can contribute negative risk to a portfolio, see T bonds in figure 16 this is a simple consequence of the fact that the asset is negatively correlated with the portfolio itself the direction of risk from this asset marginally offsets volatility contributions from the other assets in the portfolio figure 16 shows the risk contributions of the global balanced portfolio based on average volatility and correlations from 1991 to 2017. If a traditional balanced portfolio isn't actually balanced, what method can we use to create a truly balanced portfolio from these diverse assets? Risk parity is the concept of constructing a portfolio so that each asset has an equal opportunity to express its diverse character. Quantitatively, this occurs when each asset contributes the same amount of risk to the portfolio. Intuitively, for assets with different risk profiles to contribute the same amount of risk, a portfolio must hold a larger weighting in lower-risk assets and a smaller weighting in higher-risk assets. To maximize diversity, the assets with low correlation to other assets would also receive a higher weighting. Based on this logic, with a quick glance at figure 12 and 14 above, one might expect a risk parity portfolio to have its largest weightings in US Treasuries and U.S. t bonds since they exhibit the lowest combination of volatility and correlation relative to the other assets. On the other end of the spectrum we might expect emerging market stocks and REITs to have the smallest weightings in the portfolio. Figure 17 shows risk contributions of the global balance portfolio based on average volatility and correlations from 1991 to 2017. Figure 17 shows the true optimal risk parity portfolio weighting using the average volatilities and correlations from 1991 to 2017. Conveniently, the asset weights in the portfolio are broadly aligned with what we would expect given their volatility and correlation profiles bond-type assets on the left with the most weight, while risky assets are on the right with less weight. When we view this portfolio through the lens of risk contributions in Figure 18, we see that all of the assets are now contributing the same amount of risk to the portfolio. Now the portfolio is in perfect balance. Figure 18, risk contributions of the global risk parity portfolio based on the average volatility and correlations from 1991 to 2017. The truly balanced global risk parity portfolio has significantly less volatility than the global 60-40 portfolio. In fact, the global risk parity portfolio has the same volatility as the 10-year Treasury bond over the period studied, despite the fact that 80% of the portfolio is comprised of assets with much higher volatility even so astute readers might wonder what proportion of the reduction in volatility is simply due to the larger weight in bonds. We can invoke the diversification ratio concept discussed above to disentangle how much of the reduction in volatility is due to better diversification rather than a higher weighting in bonds. Recall that the diversification ratio is the ratio of the weighted average volatility of the constituent assets divided by the portfolio volatility the weighted average volatility of the equally weighted asset classes was 17.1% see figure 10 while the volatility of the equal weighted portfolio was 9.9% reflecting a diversification ratio of 1.73 the weighted average volatility of the assets in the global risk portfolio is 13.65, reflecting a higher weighting in bonds. However, the portfolio volatility is just 6.5%. So the diversification ratio is 13.65% divided by 6.5% equaling 2.1. But so far, this is just theory. Let's face it. Few investors care about esoteric objectives like maximizing the diversification opportunity in a portfolio. Investors care about results. Specifically, they want to maximize their returns with minimal risk. Figure 19 In Figure 19, we examine the historical character of the global 60-40 portfolio and the global risk parity portfolio over the past quarter century to see what diversification means in terms of real dollars and cents. Specifically, let's use a prudent amount of leverage to scale both strategies to a target 10% portfolio volatility. For simplicity, we assumed investors can borrow with margin at the T-bill rate. This is where theory meets economic reality. The enhanced diversification properties of the global risk parity portfolio produce higher returns when scaled to the same level of risk as the global 60-40 portfolio. In fact, over a quarter century, the global risk parity portfolio produces almost twice as much wealth at the same level of volatility and with a smaller peak to trough loss or maximum drawdown along the way. Figure 19 shows the global risk parity portfolio versus the global 60-40 portfolio scaled to 10% volatility from 1991 to 2017. Summary This paper set out to correct a variety of misconceptions about diversification. Many investors are fundamentally confused about how two assets can move in different directions without canceling each other out. In the first section, we described a simple business that sold skis in the winter and bikes in the summer. The revenues from these two sales channels arrive at different times of the year, but they both contribute to the bottom line. When combined, the business is able to earn much more stable cash flows, perhaps allowing the owner to scale the business more aggressively for growth. Diversified investments work the same way in a portfolio. Diversified investments work the same way in portfolios. As more uncorrelated sources of return are introduced, portfolios experience lower volatility and smaller peak to trough losses. This is important because investors seek returns by investing in risky assets. Diversification provides the opportunity to invest in a variety of risky assets with commensurately high expected returns but at a fraction of the total risk that an investor would endure from an investment in any single asset on its own. Unfortunately, traditional portfolios get diversification wrong for two reasons. First, they fail to account for the fact that asset classes have very different risk profiles. As a result, popular products like balanced funds are completely dominated by the riskier assets in the portfolio like stocks. Bonds have no opportunity to provide their diversification ballast. That's why a typical balanced portfolio lost between 35 and 40 percent of their value during the global financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. Second, most portfolios fail to invest in diverse assets that thrive in different economic states portfolios that are heavily concentrated in equity risk will only do well during periods of sustained economic global growth, benign inflation, and abundant liquidity. Thankfully, with some notable exceptions, these conditions largely characterize investors' experience over the past three decades. But such a long period of conditions favorable to stocks is the exception, not the rule. There have been three periods over the past century or so, each lasting between 14 and 21 years, where balanced portfolios have produced flat or negative real growth. These periods are real, and they lie somewhere ahead of us. And that concludes Skis and Bikes, the untold story of diversification. I hope you found it beneficial. And again, you can reach out to us at investresolve.com. Thank you.